Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 65 called New Heavens and New Earth. If you'd look with me, Isaiah 64, 1 says these words. Isaiah cries, Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence. Um, This is a verse that we looked at last time, and I was reading one author who said, Isaiah teaches us to pray the word, Oh. Oh, that you would come down, O oh Lord. And this is the concept that we see in the New Testament of Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, please come. And there's so many times in our lives when we look at this world and that's our heart's cry. Just come, please. Come now, Lord. You know, uh, Deal with this mess. And the good news is that Isaiah chapters 65 and 66 are a response to that prayer. And the Lord is coming down. Now, he has come down several times. Uh, We could mark occasions in the book of Genesis when he came down. We can think of the garden. We can think of the the oak of Mamre when the Lord interacted with uh, Abraham. We can think of the book of Exodus when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai and the the mountains did tremble and there was fire up on top of the mountain. And of course, we can think of you know, probably the most significant arrival of the Lord's presence is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when you know, here we enter a Christmas season when we'll celebrate a baby uh, being born in a manger, right? In probably what was a cave and the Lord came down. But the Lord is coming again and when he comes again, um, it's going to be a magnificent day. Uh, you know, we, we read the book of Revelation and we get the clear concept that the sky will be dark when he comes. The natural lights will no longer be uh, operable and the Lord will illumine the sky and not only the presence of the Lord, but the presence of all his angels with him. It's going to be awesome when he returns. And it's going to be a day when the church you know, is rejoicing at the coming of the Lord. But it's also going to be a frightening day for unbelievers because they're going to be uh, crying out for rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the face of the wrath of the Lamb of God. So uh, we know there's going to be a mixed reaction in that day. But Isaiah gets to the end of the book and his prayer is one that we ought to pray. Oh, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And so in Isaiah 65, we're going to see the fulfillment of that. And it's, it's addressing the time when the Lord will come back and he will make the new heavens and the new earth. But there's going to be different things in here about the people of God. Notice Isaiah 65, verse 1. The Lord says, I permitted myself to be sought. ESV says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, notice the double emphasis, here I am to a nation 
which did not call on my name. Now, God has allowed himself to be found. God says to the people of the world, here I am. God is not hiding. God is accessible. Uh, Now is the time to call upon the Lord while he is near. God has made himself known through creation, through conscience, through the coming of Jesus Christ, through the word of God, through his Holy Spirit, through the church of the living God. There are many ways in which God has made himself known. And God says, I permitted myself to be sought and to be found. In essence, God is saying, here I am. Interested? And each one of us have probably can recollect that time when you know, God made himself known to us. And it may have been a series of events for you, and maybe you're in the midst of that right now, I don't know. But for me, it was a series of events. It was meeting some different Christians. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, kind of a newfound conviction at that season of my life where you know, I kept sensing my emptiness without God, and then I was meeting Christians. You know, they seemed to be coming out of the woodwork. Did you guys experience this? You know, and uh, so I would meet them in unexpected places, and uh, eventually they got me to go to a church service and to hear the word of God. One writer says, this is amazing. God is trying to get to the attention of self-important little people who order their lives as one massive snub of him. How many people, you know, do you ever ponder this as you look at a freeway and you wonder, how many people are going here and there, back and forth, to and fro, and snubbing God? They give no thought of God, no gratitude to God. You know, they live their lives as if there were no God. And, and God says, look, I permit myself to be found by people like this. This is illuminated in Romans 10. Please go there if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Romans 10. Paul's talking about preaching the gospel. He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 14. And he asks the question, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Romans 10, 14, middle of the verse. How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Of course, the main way that God makes himself known is through the preaching of the word of God. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. 16 Romans 10. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Notice this is from Psalm 19. Their voice, and it speaks of creation here, has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Verse 19, Romans 10. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. Here's Isaiah 65.1. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, in contrast to the Gentile nations, uh, contrast 20 and 21, he says, all the day long, 
I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now back to Isaiah 65. God says, to this day, and, and you know, Paul in the book of Romans is writing, of course, in the first century, but God is stretching out his hands. Some of you might wonder, why does Israel remain in unbelief? Is it because God is hiding himself, if you will? And the answer to that question, I think, in Romans chapter 10 is no. God is not hiding from his people, but they're not responding. And the question that has to be asked is, then why don't they respond? Isaiah 65 gives us the answer. Look at verse 2 with me. God says, I have spread out my hands all all the day long. Spreading out of the hands uh, is a sign of prayer. And Isaiah 115 and other places in the Bible, you'll see that the spreading out of the hands was a posture of prayer. People would spread their hands, kind of like we spread our hands in worship, and we beckon God. We, we're, you know, when you spread out your hands, you're really calling to God. You're asking God to come in. You're inviting him or invoking his presence. That's the posture of prayer. You're beckoning God. God, please come. Fill my life. Fill, strengthen my life. Well, in, in this particular image, what is God doing? God is the one spreading out his hands. How often does he do it? All day long. And who does he spread his hands out to? Now, picture it this way. God is not praying, but God is beckoning his people to come to him. He's saying, come to me. And he invites them all day long. And who is he inviting? A rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good. And here's how their way is defined. They follow their own thoughts. Have you ever been in a position where you were beckoning to someone to please come? Maybe as a parent, you know, you had a wayward child. And so you were saying to them, please come home. And all day long, you felt like you were putting out the invitation, please come home, please come home. I want you back. You know, it doesn't matter what happened in the past, please come home. Here's the image of God to his people, Israel. All day long, he stretches out his hands to his people. But they won't come, and the verse tells us why, because they are a rebellious people. This word means stubborn rigid, never satisfied. This is the opposite of a contrite and lowly spirit. God is inviting, but they will not come. Have you met some obstinate people? Maybe when it comes to Christianity, you invite them, you share the gospel with them, and and you think it makes sense, you know, and you believe it, and you're a real Christian, and, and you say, hey, the Lord is calling you to come. Just come. And the person says, no. And they may have a litany of reasons why. But ultimately, in this context, when it comes to Israel, Israel is a people that are just downright stubborn. And you know what? They're not alone. Because we can be stubborn, can't we? Right? We can have God, even as Christians, knocking on the door of our life, trying to get our attention about some things, and we can, op- we can be stubborn, and we have the spirit of the living God. And so they're a rebellious people. Notice how they, they, they act to God. This is their own thoughts. They follow their own thoughts, and someone might say, well, who else's thoughts can you follow? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. 
Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly, that lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Uh, regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes, and, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles, who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They, they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe they have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth minisodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Israel is a people that are just downright stubborn. And you know what? They're not alone. Because we can be stubborn, can't we? Right? We can have God, even as Christians, knocking on the door of our life, trying to get our attention about some things, and we can, op- we can be stubborn, and we have the spirit of the living God. And so they're a rebellious people. Notice how they, they, they act to God. This is their own thoughts. They follow their own thoughts. And someone might say, well, who else's thoughts can you follow? <laughs> I mean, well, you want to have the mind of Christ, actually. Though that's what you want to do. You want to have the mind of God as you live your life. You want to walk in his ways. These are a people, verse 3, Isaiah 65, who continually... Now get the image. God is continually reaching out, stretching out his hands, inviting them. And they, by contrast, are continually provoking me to my face. How do they do it? They are offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks. How do they reject God in idolatry? They practice the ways of the pagan. Because you might conclude in reading these verses, you might say, Oh, I get it. They just take an atheistic position. The people of Israel, and of course it is common today, you know, maybe they believe there's no God. Maybe they're an agnostic. But in this case, that's not what Israel has gone for. They haven't gone for agnosticism. They haven't gone for atheism. What, what have they gone for? Paganism. 
They've chosen another God or gods. And in this case, idols, we've talked about idols in the past from the book of Isaiah. Idols are any heart level substitute for God and idols are really made in our image. They are gods and goddesses that we are comfortable with. They're close enough to us that they can relate to us, right? They mess up, they fight. We can relate to that. And these are the ones that the children of Israel call to. And it's as though they snub God and they put it right in his face all day long. They are offering these sacrifices in the gardens. They are burning incense on the bricks. And remember, when the incense was burned, it was supposed to go up to God. But this is not a a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Verse four, they sit among graves. They spend the night in secret places. They eat swine's flesh, which is the pig there, an unclean animal. The broth of unclean meat, these are probably uh, meat sacrifices to idols, is in their pots. They sit among the graves. They do pagan things. This is condemned in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 11, or actually 9 through 12. And let me read it for you. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls upon the dead, which is necromancy. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You know, a big reason why God cleared the land of Canaan was because of these pagan practices. Trafficking with the dead, calling upon the spirits of the dead. God says, don't do that. Because that is the place where Satan manipulates people. Don't do that. You are to worship me. Don't imitate their practices who say, keep to yourself. This is what they say among themselves, those who practice this idolatry. Do not come near me. Notice what they say. For I, verse 5, am holier than you. These are such people, according to the NIV, uh, are, these such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Now, in California, and I think in most of the United States, they have outlawed smoking in just about every place. But if you're not a smoker, you kind of get the idea of this image. Cigarette smoke really annoys me. I don't want to breathe someone else's chimney that they're sending up. But you know what? Uh, if they choose to do that, whatever, right? Someone once asked, once asked the question, will cigarette smoking keep you from going to heaven? And the answer is no, but you may get there quicker. Because if you keep smoking cigarettes, you know what it can do to you, right? It's been proven. But God says when they do this stuff, and notice that their idolatry takes on a form of elitism, and separatism. Whenever you want to sniff out a cult, watch for uh, elite statements. Everybody else is wrong. Everybody's doing it wrong. You're wrong. They're wrong. He's wrong. Everybody's wrong except this particular church. There's churches right now that say, unless you're baptized in our baptistry by our pastor using our formula, you're not a Christian. You're going to hell. And what happens with cults, and this is why they can be so slippery, and this is why they're so powerful, is they bring a sense of holiness. Look at verse 5. People think they're holy, but what do they say? 
I'm holier than you are, right? Maybe that's even something that they sing in church. We're holier than the church, you know, whatever. There's an elitism to it. There's a, there's a pride. There's, you know what, we got it going on, but you, you know, you poor people over there, you just don't. And how does God feel about such an attitude? He says, these people are smoke in my nostrils. He says, they're not a sweet-smelling aroma in the good sense, like the sacrifices in the Bible, where God would say, like a barbecue, you know, you smell your neighbor's barbecue, oh, yeah, right? That's good. No, God doesn't say that about this stuff. You know what he says about that? You can only take smoke up the nostrils for so long. You know, like a fire-type smoke? Uh, You just want to get out of there. Ah, it's terrible. Put it out. That's what you say. Put it out. Right? I don't want to uh, deal with that anymore. Behold, it is written before me. Here's what God says. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will even repay into their bosom. God says, I'm going to deal with their idolatry. Now, the good news is coming, so hold on. But God first is diagnosing the problem. He says both their own iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together, seven, says the Lord, because they have burned incense on the mountains. They did this because they thought they could get closer to the God if they were up higher. So they thought, if I go to the top of a mountain, Baal or whatever other false god might see me better. Baal, do you see me? I'm up here on the top of the mountain, burning the incense. Can you hear my prayer? That kind of thing. And God says, you do that. You burn incense on the mountains. You've scorned or blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. Look, your problem is your heart. And so I'm going to put it right back on you, says God. I've warned you. I've told you. Don't do these things. But they do it, and they build on the iniquity of their fathers. Now, nobody is responsible for their father's sin. Biblically, we are responsible for our own sins. But you know what happens generationally? If you study the, the kings of, in the Bible, you notice something happens. When a good king came along like King Asa, he went down and he tore, he, he would tear down the ashrams and he would tear down the, the places of pagan worship. And God would say of that king, he's a good king. He honors me. But when generations just put up with former generations of idolatry, the sins continue to heap up upon another and upon another. And God says, you're just adding you're adding to the problem. And in a generation, when someone can look at their culture and say, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to stop that. If you've decided in your family, even if you don't have a Christian heritage in your family, it's going to stop here. We're going to plant our flag for Jesus Christ. We're going to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And some of you have done that, and sometimes it's not easy to do that. But you start a new trend, and God will honor that. You tear down the false worship. You say, you know what, God? We want to honor you. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Here's a picture of someone cutting down a cluster of grapes. And one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it. So I will act on behalf of my servants in order to not destroy all of them. God is saying, if there's a couple sour grapes in the bunch, When the cluster's cut down, I'm not going to toss all of them. I'm not talking to everybody. There's going to be a remnant in Israel. We know in the last days there will be a remnant that is saved. 
But God says at the time of the harvest, and we see this in Scripture, I think it's Revelation 14 and other places, at the time of the harvest, God will show the real grapes from the sour grapes, if you will. You know what I'm saying? But he's going to allow them to grow together. Matthew 13 also talks about this, until the time of the harvest. And then the wheat and the tares will be separated. The good grapes from the bad grapes will be separated in God's economy. And so he says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob or Israel and an heir of my mountains from Judah, verse 9. Even my chosen ones or elect shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. There will be people who uh, from Israel are saved and Sharon shall be pasture land for flocks, the valley of Achor, a resting place for herds, for my people. And here's the key, who what? Who seek me. You see, God is, God is putting out the message all day long. He's extending his hands all day long. And what's the requirement that he has in response? He wants us to seek him. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. God's not hiding from anybody. He doesn't want you to ring the bell and he says, oh no, there's another door. Ring the bell again. Oh no, there's another. Oh, that's a fake door. Oh, there's a, this is a house of mirrors. Uh, yeah. Catch me, catch me, if you can, you know. He's not finding new hiding places. That's not God. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. The the gospel is such good news because the gospel says, come just as you are. See, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's not looking for you to bring a resume to the door. He already knows who you are. He's not looking for you to say, oh, you know what, God, now that I've heard your invitation and you've given me this list of 25 things to accomplish before I come, uh, then I'll come. No, all he's saying is come, turn away from your sin and turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. This is the gospel. Anyone who is thirsty can come to the waters and drink. It's free. It's without cost. It's without charge. The price has been paid. But you know what we do as people? We try to add things to it. And people say stuff like this. You know, if I showed up at that church that you've invited me to, there'd be lightning right at the door. People would die if I came. And you say, well, just warn us when you're coming and we'll stand back from the door and we'll see what happens, you know. They never let me in a place like that. Oh, you people are perfect. Then you don't know us very well. No, we're not. But we rest in the grace of God. And we thank God that he's made us the new wine in the new covenant, amen? He's changed us from the inside out. And we're still in process, but in a moment of time, he saved each one of us by the grace of God. Because God so loved the world that he gave. That's what love is, by the way. Love is giving. That's what love does. And God demonstrated that love by sending his son to die on the cross. Do you think that he's trying to hide from anybody? The cross is is there for each one of us to see God's love is on display. And we have a cross lit out there on the corner for one reason and one reason alone. Because it tells the story of God's love 
And it also tells the story of God's justice. God is serious about sin, so serious that he came down to die on that horrible torture instrument for us. That's the love of God. But you who forsake the Lord, 11, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and who fill cups mixed with, uh, for, with mixed wine for destiny. If you have a New King James, it says, who prepare a table for Gad. Gad was the god of good luck or fortune. Hmm, could that be a gambling table? I don't know. And they worship, King James says, many, M-E-N-I, the god of fate or destiny. Now, how many people do you think, verse 11, have forsaken the Lord, they've forgotten his holy mountain, and rather they set a table for good luck or fortune, and this was an ancient God, and for fate or destiny. Now people actually worship these gods. They burned incense to the God of luck or good fortune, and they burned incense to the God of fate or destiny. Now let me ask you guys, is there anything new under the sun do you think these are things that have just come around lately where people say, good luck, or roll the dice or whatever they're doing to try to you know, find the, uh, the answer to their problems through fate and luck and destiny? No, there's nothing new. These were ancient gods. And God says, you know, don't do that. Come to me. I'm the one who's controlling history anyway. And if you do this, I will destine you 12 for the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, sad, because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, 12, but you did not hear. And you did evil in my sight, and here's a key, and chose that in which I did not delight. Hey, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, whatever your position is on soteriology, the study of salvation, how much is God, how much is man's free will, let me tell you something. All over the Bible, you're going to find verses like this that say, from God to us, you chose that. I laid it out, I called you, I beckoned to you, my hands were outstretched, I called you to myself, and you would not listen. Now, we sing songs about, I called and you answered, Lord and you came to my rescue. And I want to be where you are. And God says, you know what? I sing a song too. I called, and the question is, will you answer? I extend my hands to you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, here's a contrast between those who respond and those who don't. Behold, and this is you know, looking into the future now to the new heavens and new earth, my servants shall eat. Now, I could end right there. Verse 13, you like that? Anybody like that verse? My servants shall eat. And I say, amen. We had a youth pastor back at our church in Orange, and we were talking about favorite Bible verses. And uh, his uh, favorite verse was in John 20 when Jesus had the fish going on the seashore, and Jesus said to the boys, you know, as they came up on the shore, come. Let us have breakfast. Uh, That was his favorite verse. And he also thought that God's greatest creation was the cow because he really liked steak. Anyway, you could tell that he liked to eat as well, but, you know, we all like to eat. My servants, this is reason enough to come to Christ right here, shall eat. I'm just joking, people, but it's a good fringe benefit, right? My servants are going to eat. 
right? I come from an Italian family. We like to eat. And grandma used to say, you know, mange, right? That's the Italian. Eat, right? You say, I ate, I ate three plates. There's people starving in this country, mange. You know, okay, you know. And she threatened you with a wooden spoon so you couldn't, you know, deny her. Behold, my servant shall eat, underline that. But you, the ones who don't seek the Lord, will be what? You'll be hungry. My servant shall drink, good news, but you shall be thirsty. Remember the uh, rich man in Luke 16 when he sees uh, Abraham and Lazarus uh, on the other side of that chasm and he says, please ask Lazarus to come and get some water and put it on the end of my tongue. I'm in anguish in this flame. Is this literal? It well could be. It could be that part of the experience of the judgment of God is hunger and thirst. You know, when you're hungry and thirsty, it's awful, right? I mean, you... You want to be satisfied. Well, uh, those who reject the Lord, they're going to be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Shame is part of judgment. Behold, my servant shall shout joyfully. I hope you're focusing on the fringe benefits with a glad heart, but you shall cry out. See, you're going to have a heavy heart. And boy, this is descriptive of hell. You shall wail with a broken spirit. And you will leave your name for a curse to my chosen chosen ones. And the Lord God will slay you, but my servants will be called by another name. Maybe an implication of that new name that we've read about in Revelation and other places. And so some heavy stuff, but some beautiful stuff uh, for The people of God, great promises. For the people who reject God, some scary stuff. Because all of this is true, because he who is blessed, 16, in the earth shall be blessed by literally the God of amen. Uh, Truth is the mother of the covenant in the Hebrew picture language. So those who uh, know the Lord shall be blessed in the earth, shall be blessed by the God of truth. God is the God of truth, amen. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. That's who he is. He is true because the former troubles are forgotten. And this may be God speaking of forgetting about the former troubles. And because they are hidden, I think this makes it clear from my sight. God's going to forget about the waywardness of the people. He's going to forget about all the years and generations of rejection. And he's going to say, man, it's going to be new here. And notice how this leads into the promise. For behold, 17, this is the answer to Isaiah 64, 1, O Lord, that you would come down. Behold, look, pay attention. I create, the word is bara, to create shape or form. What is God going to make? I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former thing shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now this is interesting. Because there's a question that comes up among Christians, and it's asked often uh, by callers into radio programs and things like this, and they ask this question. How could heaven be heaven if I'm thinking about loved ones who didn't make it to heaven? Will I remember them? Will I know that they're not here? 
Well, in Revelation 6, we have an interesting verse because in Revelation 6, there are souls underneath the altar. You remember this? I think it's 6-9. And they cry out to the Lord and they're in soul form. They've been killed. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood on the earth? They've died. They're in heaven. And they're asking God to repay with vengeance their own martyrdom. Wow. Does that mean that we can remember negative stuff that happened to us as we're in heaven? Certainly a possibility. I think that there's a, a verse that explains a lot of this in Revelation that says, we will say to the judgments of God, even if they include people we care about, holy and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. I think we'll be able to say that. But this is a verse, and I even had someone come up to me after service, uh, second service, I think, on Sunday, and ask me, how could heaven be heaven if, if I could remember those things and know that person's not there? And I thought, you know, I thought of the Revelation 6 passage and, and the later passage in Revelation, holy and true are your judgments, O Lord. We're not going to be ignorant of God's judgment of the wicked. But when we enter the millennium, will God... Uh, somehow take those former things and cause us not to remember them? I don't know. I don't think you can be dogmatic on it, but this verse makes a decent case. Now, what are the former things that won't be, that won't come to mind? Well, could they be cancer? Alzheimer's? the destruction of innocence. You know, you can start making a list and and say, you know what, Lord, are those the things that are going to be gone in this new heaven and new earth? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to make everything so new that the, the, the junk, the piles of junk from this old broken world are going to be gone? Uh, that's part of the beauty of what's ahead, but I want to show you something in Second Peter three. Please go there for a moment. Second Peter chapter three. There, Peter's talking about the last days, and he says these words. He talks about the day of the Lord. He says, Second Peter three ten. He's been talking about the patience of God and that God doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. The Lord's not slow about his promise, but uh, he's patient. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord, the judgment of God and the return of Christ will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, 2 Peter 3.10, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, here's a question. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, what are we looking for? We are looking for new heavens and a new earth. And here's what's going to be true about that place in which righteousness dwells. See, the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth is it's going to be a new order of things, and there, there will be righteousness. Now, the the closer, back to Isaiah 65, the closer you get 
to Christ, the more you long for righteousness, both personally and in the world. The more you start to see sin through the proper lens. You know what I'm saying? You start to look at things and, and you get a broken heart, sometimes over your own sin and things that you can struggle with. And especially, I think, sometimes as we look at the world and we see you know, what happens because of sin. And God has made a promise and here's a command in Isaiah 65. He says, be glad and rejoice for how long? Forever in what I create. We're gonna rejoice in the new creation. I have a feeling we're gonna have a front row ticket. Now, the angels rejoiced at the creation of God according to the book of Job. And you know what? When God makes the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to be there. That's pretty cool. And that's going to be quite an event because God's making new heavens and a new earth and they're coming down and God says, I want you to rejoice forever like the angels did in Job. I think it's 38. For behold, I create Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem's coming as well, Revelation 21. And her people for gladness. Man, this place is going to be about gladness. And I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Our new home is coming down from God. You can look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. And in this place, no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days. One of the saddest tragedies of our world is most of the deaths that happen in our world happen to children under one years old because of improper um, medicine in, in places, not, not the right medicine, uh, because of disease that often is rampant in certain parts of the world, because of lack of food and starvation and the inability to care for little kids. But no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. Two ways to take this, uh, two possibilities. First, the prophet is using images from life as we know it to now communicate life as we will know it then. For example, the young man shall die at 100 years old. Uh, one writer says, Isaiah doesn't mean that people will live a very long time before they die. There will be no death, Revelation 21. Isaiah is saying to us that life you've always longed for but has always eluded you, always kept just out of reach that life is what, is God, what God is preparing for his servants. That's one possibility. The second possibility is that people will be born in the millennium. They will live in the millennium and they, that longevity of life will come back to the time uh, as we see before the flood. So I'll let you chew on that, but those are two possibilities. And they shall build houses, 21, and inhabit them. They shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall, so there's going to be work in the millennium, stuff to do. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat, no stealing. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. My chosen ones shall wear out. The New King James says, shall enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, speaks of vanity or emptiness, or build, bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. And it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb, 25, shall graze together. These are obviously enemies. The lamb is the prey of the wolf. But they shall graze together when this day comes. 
the lion. You could have a pet lion in the millennium if you want one. Right now, it's not too smart. People who have had pet lions, sometimes it's ended badly. If you've ever seen some of those videos, it's not pretty. But you can have a pet lion in these days because the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Dust shall be the serpent's food. This could be a reference to Genesis 3 about the fall of Satan. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord, or if you like, the Lord God has spoken. Now I'm gonna leave you with Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 has these promises. They're a little further commented on and we'll end with this. Isaiah 11, six through nine. It's talking about Messiah and it says in 11, six, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid or the goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Isaiah eleven seven. The cow and the bearer will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den and they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your word, for the promises that you have made according to your promise. You are making new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And you will rule and reign from Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and we will be there because we belong to you and this is your promise. What a glorious future we have, Lord. And there will be apparently animals there that were mortal enemies and now will play together. It reminds me of, uh, you know, just looking at a green hillside and watching a wolf and a lamb or a lion and a bear just have a good time and and there's no threat of violence and death. All those things will have passed away. You are making all things new. And so we're grateful that that day is coming. And we want to live in the light of that day, Lord. We, I think the more we live in this world, the more we say, oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And the good news is, you're going to answer that prayer. So may we continue to offer that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. May you strengthen the wonderful people of God that are here tonight, the precious people, the beloved of God. May you remind them of how much you love them. May the troubles that come their way always be seen in the light of what's ahead. And may we continue to press on toward the upward call in Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to New Heavens and New Earth on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 65. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to part one when you follow Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. 
Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, perhaps you're hearing about a new heaven and a new earth, and you're like, man, I'm struggling with my faith right now. You know, you talk about heaven, you talk about this or that, but, uh, you know, maybe even the afterlife, and, and maybe you're like, well, where's God now? You know, there's been a lot of evil happening in our culture, a lot of e- evil around the world, a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty, and the commensurate things that go with that, like depression and people losing faith. Uh, you know, Jesus even said these words, when the Son of Man comes, in the book of Luke, I think it's chapter 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he? He asked the question, I think he knows the answer, but the question is for us to ponder. When the Son of Man comes, will he find me faithful? Why don't you make that personal? Will you be found faithful? What's it going to take to move you? You know, the church has had 2,000 years uh, of bumps and turbulence, and if you go back before the church and you think of the Hall of Faith, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, think of Daniel, David, you know, so many that we can talk about. Job. You know, we talked through the entire book of Job and explored what we could take away from the book of Job. And here's the deal. There is a new heaven and a new earth coming. Jesus is coming again. And you say, well, Pastor Mike, how, how can you know that this for sure? I believe that Jesus made it crystal clear that he is who he said he was by the truth of the resurrection, by his miracles. I believe it because Jesus said it. I believe it because he backed it up. And you can believe too, my friend. Maybe you need to renew your faith. And that's okay because this, I think you're going to find this chapter to be helpful and hopeful for you. Now you can listen to the rest of Isaiah 65 on our podcast app, which is Walk in Truth. Search for your, uh, on your favorite, favorite podcast platform, whatever you like to use, search Walk in Truth. Listen to the rest of this message, share it with friends, and uh, that's how you'll get the rest of the content as we will air tomorrow, the final chapter of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Look forward to bringing it to you. Uh, we'll see you, Lord willing, here tomorrow. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events, too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's final teaching in Isaiah called New Heavens and New Earth, Part 2. I'm Mike Massaro, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.